Recorded just barely on the right side of sanity, it's Transformation Thursday. I'm Natalie Walker, and my pronouns are she, her. That may be Stevens, and my pronouns are also she, her. Today, we'll be diving into the world of EMDR therapy and my personal experiences. I'm going to say this again in just a few minutes, but as a disclaimer before we get to it, I must announce that no one on this episode is an expert or a therapist trained in EMDR. So this cannot be taken as medical advice in any way whatsoever. We are all, however, humans. Sometimes I wonder about my co-host with an investment in knowing more about ourselves. Today we have fellow comedian Cindy Arena with us as we muddle our way through our traumas and get closer to becoming real people. But before we get to that, we have a brief message from General Counsel Francesca Rodriguez that Transformation Thursday is copyrighted material. This is Francesca Rodriguez, the General Counsel of the Transformation Thursday Podcast Network, here to remind you that Transformation Thursday is copyrighted material. All rights reserved, 2021. You can support Transformation Thursday by leaving the podcast a five-star rating and writing a short review on Apple Podcasts. It's free and helps to get Transformation Thursday out to a larger audience. On Twitter and Instagram, follow us at TransThursPod. On Facebook, follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. My name is Amy Stevens. Before we get into this, I do need to remind you my pronouns are she, her, and I also need to put a little disclaimer on the front side of this because today we're going to be talking about EMDR therapy. And even though I am going to school for my master's degree in mental health counseling, I'm still in training. I'm not a licensed therapist, so please don't take this as advice. And I am specifically not trained in EMDR therapy. We are going to be speaking about this today from my own personal perspective as somebody who is seeking and going through EMDR therapy on her own. But before we get into the episode, I have two of the funniest women I have ever met right in front of me. Of course, one of them is Natalie Walker, my new co-host who I just love and adore. And the other one is Cindy Arena, who I just go get pickle pizza from every once in a while because she's a lovely person. Natalie, what are your pronouns again? Remember, we were just talking about this last week. What are those pronouns? Hey there, I'm Natalie Walker. My pronouns are she, her, and I heard about EMDR literally before this episode, so this should be fun. (laughs) There we go. I'm Cindy Arena, and my pronouns are she, her, and I know nothing about EMDR, but I'm here to get Amy's advice and opinions. Well, you you also, we started talking about this one night at what we the did right. one night yeah yes so. and you said oh i happen to be doing that and i'm like i have a ton of questions and amy's like let's do a podcast and just you know kind of shoot the shit about it you know like you said we don't know a lot you know way more than me and natalie i don't I know, know nothing shit. so i know shit <laughs> i read one I before we came on you read Listen. more than i did before i started it i'll tell you that I thought, the, you know, it was amazing, though, that you put the disclaimer on this, because not only is it that, but when you have me on, you always need a disclaimer. <laughs> I've seen your act. Yeah. Well, no, that's why gonna... that's why you're hosting for me on the November 18th Rochester Fall Pride and Comedy Comedy and Storytelling event. Yeah. Oh, by, by the way, did you hear who the headliner is for that show? 
Uh, you? Hey, if I'm the can't headline any other show, I might as well headline my own, right? That's right. That's right. You got your work cut out for you. Are you going to do some storytelling, though? I must guess, too. Yeah, I'm going to do some storytelling. I uh, was trying some new material the other night, storytelling-wise, and it got okay. kind, of, kind of got dark and deep, and one of our fellow comic friends walked out on the set. So, you know. You know, but that's okay. I think, it, you know, obviously we're going to be doing several mics together prior, and you have to obviously yell at me like you did at the last mic, like, Cindy, look at me. I mean, honestly, Natalie, I... I, you know, I love all my the comedy friends, but I was in the middle of trying to order T-shirts and I have such severe ADD and poor Amy gets up there and I'm like deep in going uh, three extra large like to order. <laughs> Amy's like, hello. Yeah, so, but, the, but the problem is with that show that that was an open mic. There are three people in the room. You you know, it's to hard be- to gauge. And I'm the one not paying attention and I should be paying attention to. Because in my mind, I didn't even think you are working on your new stuff. So absolutely every mic, you, I'm going to be really paying attention. You know, because I'm used to them telling the same jokes. I know them all. But then I realized Amy was like, that was all new. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I am like, I forgot, you know, that you're working on it. So it's all good. We rolled with it. And I actually have the video and the audio from that. So. I'll make sure I post that. I'll clip that down and put it in the Transformation Thursday group. I have no good audio of my sets. I was up on one a few weeks ago and I actually had to at one point because my friends had been heckling and I didn't realize how drunk some of them were in the middle of like the MC set. I had to look at them and be like, no heckling, stop it. And then the MC gets back up. He's like, what? No more heckles? I was like, I literally just gave them shit. Do not egg them on. <laughs> but no one reports. Oh. I always forget. <laughs> Yep. Hey, Cindy, does your girlfriend know you're actually doing a podcast right now? Yeah, but my dog was barking and then I just (laughs) told her to get the dog. Then she came (laughs) over to show me she tie-dyed a shirt. I'm like, oh, hello, (laughs) honey, I'm podcasting. Do you both have ADHD? You know, (laughs) poor Dan, she's been gone all day. She finally gets home and I've got to hush her. (laughs) Well, let's go read quietly in your room. Let's I, you know what the problem is? Honestly, I use I have an office upstairs, but for some reason my Wi-Fi like doesn't is it strong enough, especially for me to zoom up there. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the closer you sit to the Wi-Fi, the better it works. I'm sitting in a laundry room. <laughs> yeah. So so Natalie, I'm sorry. How long have you been doing comedy? Uh, I've been doing comedy on and off for I want to say seven years now. Oh, long, way longer than me and Amy. Yeah, I started when I was living up in Powell River. I was living with a, an Argentinian botanist. And that, seems you- extreme. <laughs> <laughs> that seems extremely random. I was just living in Canada with an Argentinian botanist. The favorite part about it is he didn't even have an Argentinian passport. He had an Israeli passport because it was like an accident. His parents were traveling while pregnant. And so his whole family has Argentinian passports and he has an Israeli one. And he's like, I always get pulled for random. I was like, can you blame them? Have you seen your passport photo, man? Did he? <laughs> so he went to school to for bot, botany. Yeah. So his whole thing was uh, the interactions of people in plants. And he ran a comedy thing at university when he was there. So he wanted to start one in this like super bohunk town we were both living in. And my first set was like, I got off stage and I was so nervous. And he's like, it was good, but I think it made a, maybe it would have been better if maybe you'd given people time to laugh. 
because I just like ran through everything and I was like off stage in like three minutes. Yeah, and that I tell you, thing is hard. Oh, it is. I, like I had, I was so nervous when I was up there, and then it just got better. Like performing in London was probably uh, my best time, and it's been hard getting back into it since the pandemic and coming back to Canada. Oh, yeah, I absolutely London. hear that. I know it's tough. Uh, I um, I've been through. Amy, did me and you start around the same time? I think you started about a year before me. Oh, okay. Yeah. So for me, it's three years, but then I feel like you have to like X off the pandemic. So that's a year missed. Right. Two years. Let's be honest. The pandemic, we're now into 2021 and I came home in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. But I did my first setback in June and I've been fairly consistent since then. So I, I feel like, you know, I did miss a year because I didn't do anything comedy related during the pandemic. I put all my creative resources into the podcast and school. Yeah, I didn't do anything comedy related during the pandemic. I tried to write, but it's all pandemic jokes. Nobody wants to hear that. No, they really don't. No, everyone's doing them, right? It's just like- No one's doing it anymore now. Like, hey, I've been locked in my house. I think Bo Burnham probably had my favorite views of the pandemic. And it's just because he's so creative with the music. Oh, you love, you know, how old are you? 32. That's why you love him. I can't get into him. My daughters are obsessed with him. I started watching him he was just on YouTube and he was like this little 14 year old kid with his keyboard. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's how my kids, my kids love him. And they're like, mom, he's so funny. You got to watch him. I put him on Netflix. I'm like, I don't get it. And then I realized that it's totally like your age group. My kids are 26 and 28. You know what I mean? And like all that age group. I think my favorite part about his most recent one, though, is that he was so honest in some of those parts about the trauma he'd been going through, his panic attacks, his depression. Like there was a couple very unscripted parts where the camera just happened to be rolling and he kept it. Yeah, I know. I mean, that whole special was very creative. Amy, did you see it? He did it from his house by himself. The lighting, like it's, it's, it's fucked. Like it's crazy. The amount of talent stacked inside that man. (laughs) I started watching it on Netflix and I'm like, yes, what's he doing with the, like, what? I know. He started to like shove the water bottle in his belly button. Cause like right up until that moment, I was like, oh my God, I'm so turned on. And then the belly button thing. And I was like, oh my God, what is happening? Amy, it's honestly, I just, I can't get into him either. So I really think it's. All right. I'm going to give it another. I still love you. I'm I'm still going to give it another. I'll give it another shot just for Natalie. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Cindy and I should just get together and smoke. Try to watch. Yeah. Smoke a bowl. Yeah. We need a bowl. Get a little drunk. It'll be good. Yeah. (laughs) I can't combine those two. If I combine them. Anyway. I think this is the perfect segue for to move into EMDR. Well, I mean, because why not? Natalie's really knows a lot. So I've been so excited. I know that it is a therapy that is help, supposed to help you to move through traumatic events using eye stabilization movements. She just Googled that. I really did. Amy, <laughs> I caught her, looked down at her phone. She was like, okay. <laughs> Amy, so she got the, the first part about it right. So yeah, will you fill did. me in in layman terms? Well, okay. So let's just start with that basic. What is EMDR? Let's, what does that acronym stand for? Because, you know, Natalie did a great job giving us the, the definition. So let's give us the acronym. And this eye movement desensitization 
and reprocessing. So what are we reprocessing? That's the question. What do you think that is, Cindy? Well, I'm going to tell you what I know is that they, you you do something with your eyes like this, and then you forget bad things. Now, my question was, I wouldn't say forget. Okay. You processing. This is, this is why I don't know enough. That's why I'm telling you all I know. But then my thing is a, how do I know what to forget? And B, what if I forget shit I really liked? Okay. So I'm confused. Like, what if I, what if I've gone and I've wiped out my entire age of eight through 10 by going. For those of you who can't see her right now, she's just blinking. Rapidly. I move. (laughs) I'm scared. That's not what the number one. That's not what the eye movement is. (laughs) I think we should post a video of that eye movement. It should be like the GIF at the beginning of this. Yeah, I have the software for that. So, <laughs> but okay, so Amy, that is not what it is. So how? How? Let's fill me okay. in. Okay, so this is good. Once again, going back to my disclaimer, let's talk from my perspective as right. as a woman going through this. So, and trigger warning: this is going to get deep. Okay, so we'll put the content warning on the front side. When I was eight years old, I was sexually abused. And for a lot of years, I blamed that for my cross-dressing and what ended up me being transgender, right? I thought those were the reasons I did that thing. I thought that was the reason why I became transgender. And eventually in January of this year, when I was um, visiting my partner at the time, because we're no longer dating, we, we took edibles one night and they're really, really strong edibles and just knocked me on my ass, like, w- like way too much. And I had these visions from that experience, you know, at that time I'm 48 years old. So, I mean, this is literally 40 years after being sexually abused. I'm eating at, I had an edible with my partner and I have this vision of the sexual abuse. And that's what led me to EMDR. So like I said, we're in the weeds here. The thing that you need to know about EMDR, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sessions before you actually get to the EMDR. There's like background, making sure you're good fit with the therapist and really detailing the traumatic life events that are bringing you into therapy. So for me, as a woman who's 48 years old, 49 by the time I got into therapy, we just went through 49 years of all the traumatic events of my life and documented them as best as possible to the best of my recollection. You said this is like a six to 12 week thing. How do you cover 49 years in six to 12 weeks? Well, let's put it this way. I started in April and I'm still going. I mean, we've took some breaks here and there for vacations and things over the summer and stuff like that, but you know, and I've also had to pause because I'm going through some relationship issues right now. And I took a break from the EMDR process to work through these current issues. And so, but I also, as my counselor said to me just yesterday, it's like, if it wasn't for the EMDR work that we've done the last three months, you probably would not be handling this as well as you are right now with the breakup. And then, I mean, and there's, I mean, and I have good and bad days. So, so we went through this process and we've been going through this EMDR. And so one of the interesting things is like going back to my thing with the um, sexual abuse is like my memory of that was very third person, like the visualization, like it was me floating up in the room, in the corner of the room, having that out of body experience 
and I could see the babysitter, and this is going to be descriptive from purpose, on top of me with her doing her thing. I'm just going to leave it at that. Through the EMDR. I think that's common for victims of assault because I have the same. When I think of mine, it's very third-party perspective. And that's what I hear from other survivors. That's a bit, that's, and that's a trauma response that I'm learning more about right now through my, through my experience right now. An internship is, you know, mental health counselor in training, once again, referring back to that disclaimer. And also through my experience with EMDR, that's very, that's, that's a natural trauma response. And so 40 years, I've been looking at this trauma from that third party. After going through the EMDR process with it, I now see it in a first person. So Cindy, you mentioned forgetting. I didn't forget, but now the way my brain processes that trauma is more in a first person. And there's an additional layer for me too, because I'm a woman who happens to be transgender. That's the way I label my identity. So one of the things my counselor said, and this is one of the reasons why I feel so comfortable with her. She's like, you forget you've you're you've been on hormones for three years. Your body and the way it memorized and internalized trauma was different when your body was running primarily on testosterone. And now that you switched over to the right hormones for your body and your brain, now you're reprocessing and you're unlocking these things. So that's why it's harder for you to you have the way you used to process and put these things to the side. It's not working for you anymore. So that's one of the things with me that makes my situation a little bit different because I just happen to be trans. So with the reprocessing then, like you said, you went from viewing it as a third party to first person. Is that something that's made it uh, easier or more difficult to deal with? I don't know if it's easier or more difficult, but what I, one of the things that was really, and this is where, um, DBT comes in diabolical. I don't want to say, ah, I always forget that one DBT where it's like that physical manifestation and working with different things, butterfly taps and stuff like that. Grounding techniques, DBT. And then you also have cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, why am I blinking? Oh, that's right. I've already had two and a half glasses of wine. <laughs> that's why. This is why we wanted to talk about traumatic events. Well, two of us are a little bit sauced and one of us is still waking up. Well, dialect, <laughs> not diabolical, dialectical behavior therapy is DBT. So dialectical behavior therapy is DBT. That's grounding techniques, little physical manifestations and tapping. Like if you ever see me like doing this or like this underneath here, touching my boobies, that's because like I'm feeling something somewhere that I need to release. And this said, those little touches will do that for me. That's what they train you? Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's just DBT in general. So like when, like over the last month or two with everything going on in my relationship status, like I've noticed like warmness in my arms, warmness in my feet and this different spots when, when I'm really stressed or emotional, I'm much more in tune with where, how my emotions physically emote through my body. I think a lot of people lose touch with the way that your body responds to stress. Like you, a lot of people like to think the body and the mind are so, so separate, but they're really not. The body and the mind are very connected and it's a big Western thing to kind of like lose that connection. And physicality yeah. is very, like, very important. Like touch starvation is one that I struggle with. What's well, that? Touch is, um, my family's not very physically affectionate. Oh, okay. So like when you are a child. Yeah. Yeah, my family's not either very German, very, I mean, I don't, I hate to stereotype, but Germans are just stern. They're just, a, all my 
grandparents, unless it was just my family. No, all their German friends were. Yeah. So the it's not the same as the Italians. I have my dad was the Italian, you know what I mean? And my mom's was the German. So I, but I'm the exception that proves that rule then, because, you know, I come from a German Dutch background, you know, if you want to go back heritage wise, but I grew up in a family that was very loving, very concerned, you know, very, was very touchy feely hugs, kisses. Okay, so and yeah. So, I mean, we all have, so I guess different- maybe the stereotype isn't always based on reality, but I, I don't know. No, I'm well, just saying I'm, just, I'm the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. And that might be yeah. why the DBT works better for you, right? Is you're used to having physical comfort. So doing those physically comforting things is a reminder of coming from that. I can roll with that. Yeah. I mean, I don't have anything scientific, but observationally, yeah, that works for me, but also CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy, like a lot of the thoughts that I had around that sexual abuse and why, you know, I, as I quote unquote, use the big air quotes turned out transgenders because I was broken, you know, something was wrong with me, you know, it was a fetish. It was a sin in God's eyes, whatever it was, is like, you know, instead of saying I am broken, it's like, I am fine the way that I am. I'm not broken. Just trying to be aware even. So there's the the physical manifestation in the cognitive side that says, when I get those negative thoughts, how can I turn them around? So it's a two-part process for me. It's understanding the physical side and the cognitive side of it and working those two together to turn those thoughts around. So that's, those are the things that I work on with that. It's just like something came up in therapy where I'm like, therapist is like, Cause I had this idea of like, oh, I'm not, I'm not welcome. I feel rejected by people a lot of times and I get really anxious with rejection or what I perceive as rejection. And one of the things we came up across is like, she's like, well, when did you first feel that? And I'm like, I start thinking, you know, I first thought about this and I, you know, the memory that came to my mind was I was like eight or nine when I got cut from a travel team. And that was, and I was like the last cut. And that happened to me twice over my hockey career as a youth where I was the last cut. And those memories actually, you know, for some reason, I'm like, why am I thinking about this when I'm like 40 years later again? Why is this coming up? And she's like, well, you're, you know, you just, it's just the way the brain works, you know? And so we had to walk through that process too, of why I get so anxious with that rejection and being cut and, you know, or being dumped good timing, by the way, because it's like a few weeks before everything hit the fan in late August. But, you know, it's not that I don't it's not that I forget. It's just now I'm getting the training to process these things differently. Does that make sense, Cindy? Yeah, I guess I thought it was. So while you're doing it, what does the eye movement have to do with any of this? <laughs> I'm back to that. Go ahead. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're getting there talking to it. You know, you're talking it through. But where's this eye movement come into this? So what happens is, is so as you work through this, you bring up these memories and then the way my therapist works it and some therapists are different. So this is all get just through my therapeutic experience. This is not peer reviewed. This is, I'm not like, a, I'm up just blocking this line and reminding you of the disclaimer. This is my therapeutic experience, not my clinician hat. Yes. So look at the screen here, Cindy, as I pull you back here. So, so some therapists use a light bar that has like scanning lights, like led lights. And then you track them with your eyes. Mine uses her thumb or her finger or like a pointy object. So I'm just using this hair clip here. So it's like, okay, so she'll say something like, okay, follow or push the, the, my finger across. And then also think about, you know, like good words to replace the bad words. And she'll go like this, you know, and you just follow it with, it just that movement of 
following and walking. It, it just does something. I don't have the reason why, but it does. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but it, yeah, but it then, works. And then you think of positive things while. Yeah. Like, so then she'll ask me like on a scale of one to 10 on a Likert scale, one being the worst and 10 being the best outcome. It's like, you know, when you hear the feel, you know, when you hear the thing of like, you belong and you're not broken, you know, on a scale of one to 10, what we're going for is like, Hey, that's a 10. Like, I really believe that that's what we're going for in that moment. And when we get to that 10, then we move on to the next trauma to work through. Okay. Okay. Got that. Now, how do you know what, what's trauma? Like, how do you, how am I, anyone supposed to know what they need? Like what their trauma was? What does salt taste like? I don't know. Like I'm trying to think of like a trauma. I don't, I don't know. I think I'm, that's okay. like your personal, your traumas are very personal, right? Something but I don't traumatic I don't, for me might not be traumatic for you. That's Amy. what I, that's what I think. Well, I mean, right? so, so let me ask you, and this but is, I don't want, but I don't need, okay. So I so would let me ask you a question, Cindy. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. because if I don't yeah. rein you in, I'm going to be off in the weeds here. <laughs> okay. And I'm talking we, about the War of 1812. Yeah, exactly. Oh, by the way, I did talk to a War of 1812 expert this week. No, we'll get back oh, to that. Yes. <laughs> so, and you can say never mind. But Cindy, when I ask you what what is a traumatic event in your life, what's the first thing you think of? And you could say I got it, but never mind. Or you can share it with me. It's up to you. Word association, real quick, real quick, real quick. I, honestly, I can't think of anything. There's no event in your life that when you think about it, you were incredibly upset. You felt rejected. You felt very negative. Can we trade lives? I'm serious. I'm very concerned about myself. Why are you concerned about yourself? Because there's got to be some. I just. I mean, you're interested in this. I mean, you've been through relationships. You've been through life. I mean, I know. I mean, I, were, you, were your parents divorced? Did you see anybody? Yeah, it was was that tra- was that traumatic? No, not at all. Was their divorce amiable? Uh, yeah. I mean, we were little kids. It was. Yeah, we. I don't even ever remember them even together. I, you know what? There probably but is that could trauma. be, but that could be in there too, and you just don't realize it. There probably is some trauma but I'm not thinking it was traumatic because I guess the way we grew up is like, we laughed at everything, no matter how, how horrible it was. So maybe I need to f- learn what is trauma. Like, no, that was trauma. You know what I'm saying? I think that's really common for comedians. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I, <laughs> I turned to comedy as a way of processing my trauma. Like all of the stories that I get up there and tell a lot of them come from traumatic events that I've learned to turn around, laugh at. And it's, for me, it's a way of helping people to connect and to be like, I'm not alone. This woman also experienced these things. And she's like, she seems like she's okay. Not really. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, it's really traumatic when somebody asks you in a bar, Hey, do you want to go stuff your genitals? Yeah. I mean, my that- friend Vinny, uh, he's a trans man. And he says that he gets asked what's in his pants all the time. And I'm just like, how is that? Like, even if you were trans, how is that an okay question? I mean, that I, I'm okay. still trying to think of what's trauma for me. I, I don't know. I need, I, I was going to looking for a therapist, but they're all booked up because all the 16 year old TikTokers took them all. Well, what are some events that you laugh about? Like, uh, actually Taylor Tomlinson has a good bit. She talks about you don't really realize how messed up your life was until you're telling a story that you think is hilarious. And then everyone's kind of looking at you and you're like, oh, we weren't, uh, we weren't all fucked up. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. What happens to me all the time. Yeah. So what, what about the guy in New York city that showed you his dick? I mean, that could be trauma. I mean, you didn't want to No, see that it. was funny. I mean, it was Come funny, on. but I mean, but for some people that could be trauma. 
Yeah, yeah for some people that would have been super traumatic. I mean, I would have laughed. Saying. Was it yeah. at least a good dick? It was it was this old homeless guy and I could barely see his, you know, <laughs> it, he was in a wheelchair. What? You had to ask. <laughs> he was in a wheelchair and it, no, that didn't. No, I mean, I come on. I grew up in a strip club. Hello. I mean, it's my father. You know, I've Fair. seen way worse than that. Um, I mean, growing yeah. up in a strip club is definitely something that a lot of therapists might class as traumatic, especially if you're a child experiencing all of these things that maybe an age that some would describe as too young. Now we're just looking for reasons for her to be broke. We've gone on a tangent. And you know what, Amy, that's another thing I think is like, if I can't think of it, why? I guess just leave it, right? Well, I mean, but you've also said- you Right, had- Natalie? Like, what? But you've also said you've had friends tell you that you should go to EMDR. So why are they saying this to you? Oh, I don't know. There's no, no, no. The the person who said it was just like that set told me that was um, just like everyone should do it regardless of what it is, of of what you're, you know what I mean? So I didn't understand that. And that's when I had questioned it. Right. I'm like, so don't, don't you need a specific trauma to work on? I think that's, uh, I think that's one of the weirdest things to me saying that everyone should do this type of therapy regardless is kind of similar to being like, everyone should take iron pills. And you're like, no, that's kind of damaging in lots. Like if you don't need it, but doesn't everybody have trauma so wouldn't everybody need it because everyone's idea of trauma is different right yeah so I, I mean something very simple like uh, I don't know a pet dying when I was 10 let's say could be very traumatic for but me we're also talking about how everyone processes trauma differently as well so EMDR right. might not work for everybody yeah so I mean yeah I guess it is just a very like yeah therapy and trauma are very personal events and it's just you can't tell a person this right. won't work for you if you and especially if your friend themselves is not an expert like us. <laughs> but is all therapy, uh, most therapy is to deal with trauma though, right? Not always. I think some therapy, like mental health doesn't always stem from trauma. Sometimes uh-huh. mental health stems from chemical imbalances. Right, right, right. Not all trauma produces the same result and not all people have like the serious traumas that would need that kind of stuff. I True. do agree that everyone maybe would benefit from talking to someone and sorting out your problems because in general, really shitty at communication. Sorry about the swearing. <laughs> Like people in general, we're just very Have you bad listened to our podcast? Huh? Have you listened to our podcast? What the fuck? It was the first time I swore in so long. I was doing so good. Like I said, I did try to get a therapist, but there are none available. Nobody's taking patients. There's nothing not that takes insurance. So yeah. I gave up. But just give you a little like my goal as a therapist is not to take insurance. I want yeah. your hundred I want your hundred and forty dollars now. I don't want your two hundred and forty dollars later. Well no, it's not like actually the hourly rate for Excellus Blue Cross Blue Shield in our area is $102.50. I can make more money, get my money quicker. Um by going in with cash. Yeah, I'm lucky that- Yeah, but I mean, Canada, that's a lot of money yeah. to be doling out if you got to do it once a week. That's a mortgage. Now, well, no, not a mortgage, but that's a car payment. You're yeah. the pizza. You're the, you're the pickle pizza queen. Yeah, you keep mentioning pickled pizza. What's up with this? Pickle pizza is um something. I'm the queen, but that doesn't mean I, I got anything. Uh, I, I make it. I don't uh, make the money. Pickle pizza is a pizza that I had uh, at the pizza shop I work at. We invented- this pickle pizza with our garlic sauce, mozzarella cheese, pickles. Then we sprinkle dill weed on top and then we cook it. And it became okay. viral uh, in Rochester. And we, I ended up getting us on Tasty, BuzzFeed, everything. Yeah. 
So it just was something that went viral. We got like a million and a half hits on it. Amy's come in and had the pizza. I sell the garlic sauce online. And uh, yeah. Would you say that your huge rise to celebrityhood might have been traumatic? (laughs) Traumatic (laughs) because I didn't get a dime. No, yeah, it was traumatic. You know, that was traumatic. I went viral for a pizza, not my comedy, Amy. That's trauma. Fair. But yeah, no idea. Well, EMDR can help you reprocess that. It won't help (laughs) you forget it, but it'll help you reprocess that. Doesn't Amy just have the most soothing voice, though, really? She really does. She is going to be an amazing therapist. What is what is that uh, that thing where you like whisper into your microphone? Phone sex. Lots of gear. I think it's like MMR or something. I MMR. Try that. We should do a we should do a whole episode of just whispering into microphones. Yeah. Is that like something <laughs> that people are obsessed with, like on YouTube, like a mutt yeah, bang? It's that thing. Like mutt banging. Yeah. yeah my pro- you're right. By like a gamer who is already like he's so nice to look at, but his voice is also equally soothing. And I'm like, this is amazing. Whisper to me more. You're you right. There is book. a whole there is a whole thing with you're right. It is M something where they just whisper. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. Oh man. People are into like the strangest things, aren't they? Like so and another, but I have to say, have you seen talking, a donkey show in Tijuana? No. I don't want to because I already know the basics. Wait, what? You've never heard of a donkey show in Tijuana? You need to do a Google search and I recommend doing it on private. Is that bestiality? Look at both of them. You're both like... (laughs) Okay, I'm looking. Both of us look very unsure and did like a... Okay, I'm... I may or may or may not have an ex-in-law who has seen that show. (laughs) All right, so it's called I the donkey show from my uncles growing up. Wow, so it's called the donkey show. Yes. Okay. But that, but it's somebody, not just Tijuana; it's Mexico too. Okay, oh, yeah, but okay. listen, somebody I can understand that completely, though. You know, but like people, okay, like I have fallen in some weird holes on the internet of things that people like to look at that, you know, like the mukbang, I can't get into that. That's gross. All that food, you know, the internet's a weird place, but the thing I got into and I just got stuck into a loop and just for like 20 minutes watching people cut things and have you like the soaps and cutting like that sand and all the cut like that. I'm like, these people are so weird. Who just watches this? Have you ever been on, <laughs> you been on Reddit before? Like 20 minutes later, Amy. My favorite is uh, the one with the hydraulic press that just crushes shit. Yeah. I will watch that forever. Candles, toys, jelly beans. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, Amy, that is like so crazy. What do you got? Pimple yeah, popping videos. Oh, oh you- I love those too. <laughs> yeah, but that's oh, kind of so satisfying. <laughs> but I see that normal. Like I see, you know, people picking pimples like that are obsessed with normal. But like cutting, who would have thought I would have got sucked in? Like yep. you said, crushing items, who would have thought? There's another YouTube channel called Will It Blend? And he just puts all these kinds of things into this like special industrial blender to see if it'll actually chop them up. And it's amazing. And you just sit there and you get sucked in, right? Uh, maybe, the man. maybe I should do a weekly video of me taking my shot. Well, we were talking about uh, doing. Oh, people would like to see that. It's the same okay. thing every week, but it would just. But I bet people. But would I got. It. I okay, got. There's a whole fetish for people that are into needles. 
We would well, open ourselves up to a whole new demographic. When I very first got <laughs> cortisone shots in my knee, this was about seven years ago. And I videotaped him giving me the cortisone shot on my phone right back, you know, and yeah. then I uploaded it to YouTube and just put my cortisone shot and I shared it with someone. And then I got like, that's like, I got like 6,000 views on it, but I'm sure it's because people are Googling cortisone shot in the knee. And then they're looking at me getting it. My buddy, when he was in the, uh, he was in the hospital, he finally got a diagnosis for an autoimmune disorder, but they had to put a central line in and he had his laptop and he videoed the whole thing and like shared it. And it's just called like, people a- want to watch that stuff. It's well, because also, but your- you know, you're getting one. Like, let's say I'm like, oh my gosh, what's it like to get a cortisone shot in my knee? And I Google and my video comes up of me getting one in the knee. At least you see it right yeah. firsthand. So yeah, people are probably like, it's all, isn't, don't they call that a pick when they put it yeah. in your neck? Yeah. And there's probably people that have to get one and they're like, oh, what am I in for? You know yeah. what I mean? Like my biggest mistake is I have to get knee replacement and didn't I Google knee replacement surgery and watched a video of getting it done. And then I completely freaked myself the fuck out. I should have just left well enough alone because I freak out and not much freaks me out. But the cutting of the bones and taking it out, like I freaked. I was like, oh no, I should never watch this. I started my career in cardiology and my preceptor when I was a student snuck me in for a lot of things to like see them in person. So I got to see open heart surgery once I got to watch them put in a defibrillator, like just one of the little pocket ones for someone with an irregular heartbeat. And like, Mm -hmm. when they shock you, you like come off the table, but yeah, I've seen some of that stuff like in person and it's actually really cool. Although I think my biggest thing is, you know, in the textbooks, how it's all different colors and stuff. But then when you go into like the human, it's all the same color. And you're like, how do they tell the difference between like this branch and that branch if they're the same color? (laughs) How do you know you're doing the right thing, doctor? How? I asked my mom for her knees when she had her knee replacement, but she's like, no, I'm not asking. I don't, no, no, no. I also offered my ex-wife my balls. Keeping her purse? (laughs) Keeping the in the palm of her hands, so she still thinks she's got control. Got you by the balls. Well, she always said she figuratively had them, so I just wanted to give her the literal opportunity. Yeah, to have them. I remember, oh, like when she when I first came out, she's like, "Why do you think you're trans?" I said, "Well, you asked me to sit down when we got married, so there you go." <laughs> you guys get along really well, though, don't you, Natalie and I? Yeah, we get along great. I think she met you and the ex. <laughs> But yes, we get along great. <laughs> now we're just all over the fucking place. Yeah, we have like we've strayed so far. We've strayed. Okay, take it <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah. Take it back. No, no, no. This is this. Good. No, we like, do. We do. We do. You know. back is, do you process anything that happened? Go. I want to. Like, I want to answer this question though. Okay. Me, yeah. No, we do get along really well, and I'm very fortunate there. But at the same time, I also both of us. We we. I think it worked out well for me to be here especially last year during lockdown with the family. But I think we're both at the point now, it's like we both need our space and we both need to grow apart from each other. And so I think, you know, that's where we're at right now, but that's not going to happen until I graduate next year. So anyway, well, so everything's good. Yeah. What's your reprocessing question, Natalie? It was, is there anything to do with like your marriage and coming out then that you've been covering in EMDR? If you want to talk about that, obviously personal shit, you can say no. No, I'm going to say yes, because I've always been very open with our audience here, like with surgeries and stuff. So, you know, I, I view our audience and 
this space as Transformation Thursday is a very safe space for me? The, the short answer is no, but it is on the radar. It is identified as a trauma. And I will not say, but I will say both my marriages because, you know, both of them ended as a result of my gender in different ways. And at some level that is trauma and it needs to be processed. So, yeah, so I will examine that at some point. I guess I'm, you debunked my, that movement will make you forget you've debunked it. Yeah, I mean, I still remember, but I just, the way that I visualize those memories now is very different. And so I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that, you know, I did this EMDR therapy because one of the reasons not only did I get into EMDR for what happened back in January with that vision. But then also, I also noticed that in my two relationships that I've had since I've transitioned with my local girlfriend here, and then the one that I had the long distance relationship with that I felt a lot more anxiety in the relationships, like very anxious. And my counselor's like, well, welcome to being a woman. But at the same time, I also noted, but I also knew that that level of anxiety wasn't normal, in my opinion, in my background, because in my previous marriages and my previous relationships, pre-HRT, the relationship just became a natural part of my life. When I met these women and we started dating and we got married, we had kids in the case of my second marriage, that it just became a natural part of our life. But then in my two big relationships, you know, after HRT, there was always this anxious side, like I was waiting for that other shoe to drop. And I realized, lack of better term, and I hate this word, but I'm going to use it here just because in our society, it's very well known. You know, I was a lot more needy, especially in the second relationship. And you can go into reasons why, you know, my surgeries, the pandemic, me going to school, long distance relationship, but I knew that I had to dial that back. And, and the HRT kind of amplified things for me with that, with that neediness, but EMDR was starting to dial it back. And especially now with the breakup that I think, I think I'm handling it as good as I can be. There is, there are still moments where I'm sad. I'm not, it hasn't been an easy process, but I know I'll be okay and I'll keep pushing forward through this. Like I've always said on the podcast and I said to my ex and I've said to people, I don't, and I think I said this to you, Cindy, you know, last time you were on, I was like, I don't believe in the one. There are many ones out there for me. Now I just need to go find that next one that I want to date. I was gonna give say it a the shot. Next one. I'm going to put myself out there again. I really am. I mean, I'm all uh, about finding someone who's crazy jams with my crazy. I've yet to find that. And I'm sincerely afraid of that person, but I'm really looking forward to it. Well, there is a lid for everything. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. I want to find that crazy person that wants to spend the rest of their life with me. And I want to find that person that I want. I mean, and I'm getting to that age. I'll be 50 this winter. I want to find I'm just trying to keep the one I got. Well, there you go. And I mean, but I also just want to get to the point of like, I find that. Talk about crazy. She's going to put up with me. Well, yeah. I mean, I've seen your act. Exactly. I mean, but I just, I want to get to the point where I can find that person, grow old with them, and we can be there for each other in our final moments in life. And that's, you, to me, is a beautiful thought. Yeah. Do you think that maybe, so you the two relationships you had after HRT, do you think that maybe it was a feeling of, this is brand new, it's not something I've done before, whereas your marriages were like, this is the expected thing, getting married, having kids doing the man and wife thing. And now you're into this whole new area where you hadn't thought about it before. So it's essentially like 
experiencing those young teenage feelings again that are so intense. Yes, but each relationship had different things about them. Like in the in the first one, I hate saying this like this, but it was with a cisgender woman who also was just coming out, you know, in her own way because I was the first woman she dated. And so that was a different dynamic. And so I was always waiting for that other shoe to drop. Like the point of like where I'm going with that is in my previous marriages and other relationships, the other shoe was my gender. But in this relationship, that shoe wasn't there because that girlfriend only knew me as Amy. And so, but we had our different dynamics and things to work about. In the second relationship, long distance one, it was with another woman who happens to be transgender. And so I didn't have that shoe as the other type of thing, but you know, we're similar age. Kids are the similar age, similar time on HRT, um, similar education backgrounds, earning potential about the same, you know, she's full-time in her career makes more money, but you know, money wise, you know, with my career where I'm headed, we're about the same money background. And I would say with intelligence and activity, we just had so much in common. You were on more equal footing very equal footing, you know, but we also had some very key differences in the way we communicated things. And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds with that to protect anonymity because I don't name exes and stuff like that on this podcast. That's just my pledge to people that you don't want to call them out and make them feel no. And there's no need to, because I respect all my exes, you know, in various ways, because I've had great relationships with them at some level. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and of course, you're not going to call them out. You know, nobody, no, no, I mean, nobody no. wants to do that. And you I just, don't have hard feelings. The ex, so, but the, the ex. Yeah, the, the ex. ex is the ex is the ex is the, the ex. Is. And, yeah, that's all. Yeah, but so, you know, and so with this last one, you know, I was all in with her, you know, like, you know, I had what I thought were our shared dreams, our shared desires, and where we thought we were going in life. And the way it ended was, in my opinion, I'll be very honest, was shitty for a variety of reasons that I'm not going to get into, but everyone can relate to a shitty end to a relationship. We all have one. Yeah. And I know she has her reasons and the way she did it and the reasons why, and those are for her. I get it. I understand it. Um, But at the same time, I've decided recently that it's just time for me to take a break, focus on me, look at my goals and dreams that I want from life. And I have really four options ahead of me for next year. It's like, Hey, I can stay in Rochester and live with live here and be close to my family. I can, you know, look at moving to New York city. I'm look re-examining that dream of living overseas. London would be very lovely for a variety of reasons. And then also, you know, maybe I just take a gap year and get a minivan and follow the RV around the country and do the international tour with Natalie. So, I mean, well, if we I, do the international tour. We can still go back to Europe. I'd love to yeah, go back. Yeah, I mean, we, that we, we will let me back in. We can't take the <laughs> minivan though, or your camper, but we can may definitely buy some, buy some flights. So, I mean, I just, I have options now that are 100% me focused. And that's what I'm grateful for in this moment is that I have this time right now to just be and figure out what I want to do after I grow up or whenever I grow up. So what would you say is kind of like the end game for the EMDR? Like what is, what are you supposed to get out of it at the end? I think the end game for me is just being able to take my traumas, reprocess them, reprocess them and be able to ground myself in whatever way that I need to and change those negative thoughts into positive thoughts about myself. And so I don't ever think there's a true end game. I always think that even if I'm not formally an EMDR, being able to take those skills from EMDR and 
implement them through the rest of my life. Because one thing I know is I'm not done experiencing trauma. Something else is going to happen to me and I'm going to need to be able to use those skills. Right. We, we probably, I mean, every, like you say, everybody's trauma is different and people can obviously are not done experiencing trauma because you're labeling it differently, you know? So well, I, I think you don't end up like, you don't finish experiencing trauma until like you experience the final one and death, right. Is everything, every part of life is going to lead you to something that's going to be traumatic or joyful. Like life is full of all of those moments. Exactly. So yeah, that's constant. So Amy has a point. She will also have the skills to take care of it, take care of herself with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I joke with my kids about is like, my job as your parent is to give you material for your future therapist. Well, if I say that all the time. <laughs> I judge my parenting skills. This is how I judge people's parenting, how they did. Okay. By how many times your kid needs to go to therapy a month. Okay. Like if you've got a kid that's got to go three, four times, you fucked them up. Could be. But then yeah, I but don't know. But the flip side of that though is you were also dealing with it in real time and you're giving your kids the skills to deal with that trauma. And that's the way that I look at that. Like both my kids are in therapy and they and they have been for a while now. But they're young. Well, that's 19, the cool thing. 19 and 12. It's very cool right now for that age to get therapy. Like I and, and, and I, not even, I shouldn't say cool, so much more accessible and so much more accepted, but I laugh at all those little TikTok generation. If you don't have a therapist, like you're not cool. Well, it's also, they're growing up in a time too, right? Like before your guys' time with our entire lives out there all the time. Oh, my mother used to send us to this family therapist, me and my brother. And that's where I'm, I think that's how come I have trauma. That's my trauma. It's my mother's fault. I've got trauma because well, she also, sent me also therapy trauma. Like, yeah, I've got, got a bad therapy. therapist. I have therapy trauma. I had to go to a family therapist once a week with my brother who had severe ADHD. Like he made me look like I am calm. He would unscrew all the doors in the house every single day because he was bored and he had to do something. He would take all the doors off the head, like crazy stuff. And my mother made me go to this therapist because she couldn't handle him as a single mother. He was a handful, not naughty, just very, like we had to lock him in his room because he would, he would climb out of the crib and go like the stove. Like he was a handful, you know, just very, very. So at any rate, that therapist, I got trauma from that. There you go. Yeah. No, my trauma, definitely a lot of my trauma stems from my family as well. Right. I grew up as being the plus size kid. My other cousins are like traditionally very good looking. My sisters are very athletic. And it was just like, yeah, it was not great. And I've dealt with some of it. Yeah, so, but let me, let me give you a compliment there, Natalie. You may not be traditionally good looking, but you are good looking. No, and that's something that I've come to realize. Like I had, um, I had really bad body dysmorphia until probably about five years ago. And it wasn't until I actually started modeling nude for artists that helped me get past that. And it was just a different form of well, therapy. Well, hello. It was yeah. awesome. I got some cool Renaissance pictures That's right. of myself. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you did that alone is a huge breakthrough for your self-esteem. So yeah. Like people, it's everyone just wants to become more comfortable with them, like with themselves and be more themselves. Yeah. I mean, I, I could never imagine myself being that comfortable or the pity for the artist that... <laughs> All right. So I just typed in the chat five minute warning. So I have this crazy idea. Yeah. This, this should become a regular segment. 
like a regular episode. Like this is the three of us bullshitting for an hour about. Can we, can we just pick a subject that none of us know every week? Yeah, <laughs> that would be. You know, oh my god, Amy, that would be hysterical if we just had a segment where I just pick something, and then or you know, like we took turns picking something. Uh, we have to have some knowledge though. Okay, I want I want to my I want us to talk about the Higgs boson particle next time. So what? See, now I'm out. <laughs> I can't even join in with that. You guys are so much smarter than me. Wait till you hear what I'm going to pick, okay? okay You're going to Sh- be like, "Okay, Sheldon." <laughs> creationism, like it's just... Oh, all right, break it down to layman terms. Yeah, it's a, it's the particle that they believe will show them how the universe was actually created and they're like generating it. I am so totally into that convo. I don't know anything about it, but I have thoughts already. Yeah, it ties it ties into everything. Science. And I have a story to go with that. I have a good story about evolution and growing up in the Catholic Church. I will share next time. Excellent. What are you going to pick? That's trauma. Oh, my God, Amy, that could be my trauma. Growing up Catholic? In the time that the school kicked me out because I brought a book in about evolution and told them they were crazy about Adam and Eve. I was, as a little kid, I was even smart enough to see that didn't make sense. I got a book on evolution from my dad in the mail. And I looked at that book and I watched the evolution of man. And I'm like, these people don't even know how this happened. So I brought the book in to teach those nuns how shit was at nine years old. Yep. And they were pissed. What the audience didn't see because we're going to only use the audio from this are your eyes. (laughs) They went wild. They went wild. Like you, you hit on it. That's your trauma. At least one of them. One of them. And I got to do a joke about that. Getting kicked out of Catholic school in ninth grade for arguing with the nun about evolution. Like, come on. Yeah. And I stood my ground, Amy. I knew that nobody came from a rib. I'm not that dumb. I'll tell you what came from a rib. You know what came from a rib? The McRib. (laughs) The best part. The best part, the McRib. That Adam and Eve. It's the McRib. I'm going to go out and get ribs tonight. That's trauma, you guys. I have trauma from the Catholic Church. Now I'm seeing it all clearly. Sitting in the pew, looking up at the Stations of the Cross. Like, no five-year-old should have to look at that every single day for an hour. The Stations of the Cross. That's like a horror movie on the wall, Amy, for a little girl. There are your eyes again. There are your eyes again. Yep. All the stuff you have to put in confession, too. Like, you go... What like what does a five year old do that they have to confess to a? Priest? Thank you, Natalie. Next show we're digging deep into this. Therapist Amy is going to work us through it. Therapist in training disclaimer disclaimer yes. disclaimer. Therapist in training is going to work us through this, Natalie. Yeah, we'll do it. It'll be great. All right. There's I've so had many, a breakthrough. Thank you. So many ethics violations going on right now. So many. Hey, well, we, you know what? We started an episode with Cindy thinking that she had absolutely no trauma to her realizing that she's actually experienced some shit in life. Several. Between, <laughs> Thank you. Between you and Todd Gerslin, Cindy, I mean, I've just made you both feel so much better in your lives over the last yes. few hours. Yes. Oh my yes. Gosh. I have not str- had the life of Todd. Todd is overcome so much more than me. I respect him so much. But thank you for compare, you know, putting me in the same because I think he's just amazing. Oh, I, I, love I mean, Todd. I love Todd know. to death. Yeah. So don't tell I've, him this, but if I were into guys, I'd probably be into him. 
Uh, don't tell him this, but he's the type of guy I would have dated when I'm 25, and that's exactly why I'm a lesbian. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I wonder how many Who's women. That, I wonder how many women Todd has turned into lesbians. Is my question. right? That's the. I always joke with him. I'm like Todd. You're probably you know you're the type of guy I would have dated when I was 20. You know, 22. And uh, yeah, just bad. He. He's a softy sweetheart, but to look at him, he looks like a badass guy. Like, you know, he's got he's got neck tattoo. The whole he's got the oh, whole I'm so badass. Into that. Are you kidding me? Yeah, she but he is neck and face tattoos. Oh. But he but Todd is the exact opposite of his outward appearance. Yep. You know. So Natalie, go so back. Yeah, is back. Todd going to be in the show in November? Like, oh god, yes. Natalie's getting hot. <laughs> I see some blushing going on. Natalie is like, wait a minute. Easily. I'm very pale. Natty's like, bring me naughty Todd. Yeah, right? Like, it's yeah, been a long I, time, okay? The pandemic's been a dry season. That's right. Hold on, give me, give me, hold on, hold on. We've gone way over Amy's time. Oh, we have. We're like, oh, that five-minute warning Nat- was like, no. Natalie's, Natalie is totally editing this episode. <laughs> Natalie, keep me in some of it. I will actually, this is going to be my opportunity to talk to Romeo again, because he does music and I'm just going to ask him to show me how to do the editing. <laughs> there you go. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Hold on here a second. I'm going to pause for a second. Don't go anywhere. This pops in. Oh my gosh, ladies, this is so much fun, but I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do with the rest of my life or at least the rest of this week. So. Oh, same with me. Yep. So should we, should we call it a night and say good night? Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. My name is Amy Stevens and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Natalie Walker and my pronouns are she, her as well. Uh, we really went through some muddling there um, dealing with EMDR therapy with Cindy, didn't we? We did. It, uh, it definitely went on a couple of tangents and there was some very odd eye movements. But Cindy was like, Cindy was a lot of fun to have on and talking about traumas was definitely a, a freeing experience. Well, I'm glad that we finally got to her trauma. I mean, I don't think she's the only person to ever identify the Catholic Church as their childhood trauma. So and I don't say that lightly. And I don't like, I don't think she's the only person either that was raised with this idea of isn't that bad. So obviously nothing bad's happened to me. Some people just you don't realize how bad your trauma is until you're sitting and you're like, oh yeah, no, I actually have been through some stuff. Something I realized about childhood traumas is like, we all take in our own experiences and internalize those very differently. And recently I went through a childhood trauma with somebody and I'm not going to say who to protect their identity, but the way they experience the trauma and what they remember is very different from what I remember of that trauma. But one of the interesting things and I don't remember if I said this or not because we just were all over the place with Cindy. It's like, but when I think of that particular event with that shared traumatic event with who I was just speaking with, they remember something different. But one of the big things we have in common is that we both have these out-of-body memories. Like we're looking at them down as third persons from our own different memories and our own different perspectives. And one of the things that this person wasn't really aware of they just thought this was normal. And I'm like, no, this is trauma response. This is your body repressing trauma from a long, long time ago from when we were younger. 
And so when I started explaining to them about EMDR therapy and how I worked through this and now how I see this trauma that, you know, that I went through as a child, now I see it as a first person. Like I can see my abuser literally on top of me versus being removed from it and watching it like a movie or like as a perspective of an angel, just to use that imagery. And they were like shocked that I could could be able to reprogram my memory to bring that experience back to a first person viewpoint. So, because this person really didn't think there was anything wrong with them. I'm like, and there's nothing wrong with them, but it's just a different perspective on trauma. It says when your brain goes into that third party view, it's protecting you and it's, and it's just not really has been unlocked and it really hasn't been fully processed yet. Well, and it's a way of like, it's protecting you because then you get to view it as someone from the outside experiencing it. And if we go back to like, when we had that conversation with Sarah a few weeks ago, you get to view your life is through your lens. So having a shared experience with someone like you're talking about, and then finding out that they don't view it the same is that's where it comes down to is you only get to view these experiences through your lens. You don't experience it through theirs and everybody interprets something differently. And this is going to be a good segue into, you know, the Dave Chappelle special this week, the closer closer was just released on Netflix. And of course we're both comics and this is a, has generated a lot of conversation, not only, you know, in our society, but specifically in comic circles. And you and I specifically watched this last night. And, you know, and even in us talking about this before we started rolling the recording here, you and I don't see eye to eye on this. You and I have some differences of opinion. And I have a I have a comic friend that I was speaking with over the weekend. He has a different experience. So and I can understand why he relates to this very differently. And through my experience of being able to speak with him, he can understand why I have a different understanding and a different interpretation of, the, of this most recent special from Dave Chappelle. So, let's Well, that's one of the things I do really love about comedy, especially the comedians that do make it big and get to talk about all these big political issues and stuff, is that comedy is something that I see that should generate conversation, right? It should make people think about what they're doing, how they're doing it, what is happening in the world. Yeah, but do you really, and this is my personal thing, and but I didn't view this special by Dave Chappelle, The Closer, as comedy. No, I view, so when he came out on stage and he said that he, like his first thing when he came out on stage was to announce that he is taking a break, right? So you're immediately going into this special with the expectation that this is a goodbye show. This is his peace out moment he's just gonna lay it all out on the floor and I can I can appreciate that right like knowing that you need to take that step back because yeah you've made mistakes you need to take a step back you need to figure out where it's going right we all do it in life you go no contact or you leave a job right you take that step and that was where I was going into this show with yeah and I think you know we all have to take our step back for certain reasons and you know um, I'm going through that personally with somebody right now and that's all I'm going to say yeah but but, you know sometimes we need space to process to heal to move forward and and to learn yeah and to learn and I don't know what you know with Dave Chappelle I I say he's transphobic 
and I would even say slightly anti-Semitic. But I do have a friend that's Jewish that just texted me while we were talking tonight and said, hey, you love that joke. <laughs> you know, this- and that's just it, right? It's um, like saying that he's anti-Semitic and not being either of us being Jewish ourselves. It's like, I'm not a member of that community and I can see where that would, I could see where you would say that. But at the same time, uh, I actually had to pause the special. I told you this. I had to pause the special because I'm not as informed about the Israel-Palestine issue. And I watched a couple of videos and I was like, yeah, okay, I can see where we're going with this. And I wouldn't necessarily say that having an opinion on that is going to make you anti-Semitic because you can have an opinion on one country invading another country and then everything, the fallout of it, right? Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean you disagree with the religion, but you can disagree with the oppression of another people. Yeah, and then I do have another Jewish friend here, you know, locally, and she was really uncomfortable with that. So, I mean, what I what I really appreciated, though, from the Dave Chappelle thing, and we'll get into the trans stuff here in a little bit, I really like that he's like, you are free to interpret my art, my comedy, any way that you want. Yeah. And the way it lands with you, the way it lands with me, the way it lands with my friends, my Jewish friends, my Black friends, my Black female friends, you know, my Black trans and non-binary, you know, every joke is going to hit each of us differently with through our own lenses and through our own perspectives. And so, you know, one of the things that, you know, I was speaking with, you know, a black friend of mine. And, you know, one of the things he, what resonates with him is that, you know, that whole thing about Cassius Clay becoming Muhammad Ali and name changes. You also have, with all of the problems we have here in the United States with cops shooting black men and the history of black men being treated as property, being feared, being depicted as monsters, there's 400 years of levied, systematic levied oppression against that, you know, against Black men and Black society within our country. Absolutely. There is provable oppression. And I do not argue with his point that the queer community does have it better than people of color, right? You can hide being queer if you want to. You don't like, I don't believe you should. You cannot hide. I I get to stop you on that one, though, because I can't hide mine. I don't hide. I especially I can't hide mine as well as a gay white man. Yes. And and I really agreed with Dave's point in that. Like, hey, you know, a lot of people in the gay community want to be a marginalized group and portray themselves. But as soon as, you know, they feel threatened sometimes now, all of a sudden, whoops, they're going to play the white card. and They're going to call the police. I totally empathize with that with that point yes and i've said this before and it's been said on this podcast a couple years ago the biggest issue that i've had with people other than the evangelical community and religious folks here in the united states has come from gay white men well i think the irony of that too is that like everyone likes to go back to we talked about this too is the stonewall riots and stuff dave Chappelle actively says that those are the people he could get on board with in the queer community and the ironic part is that the people who really instigated the Stonewall riots were black trans women. And the main one that's famous. What's her name? I honestly will have to Google this. And I really I apologize to, to everyone in the trans community that I don't know this name off the top of my head. I put you on the spot. And I, okay. But, but it's Marsha P. Johnson. 
There we go. That's, you know, if he wants to be thankful and like want to stand with the Stonewall gays, he's standing with black trans women and in particular, Marsha Johnson. Yes, which is what makes some of the phrases that he says later in the show, like I'm team turf. As soon as that those words came out of his mouth, I was like, you've lost me. I'm just like in that moment, I was just like, yeah, no, I can see why everyone's calling you a dick because that is a dick comment. Yeah. And, you know, and I and I understand like in this whole thing about body parts, you know, yeah. there's nothing on my body that's beyond anything. Well, why are your body parts defining you? If we're saying that you can't define someone based on the color of their skin, then why do you get to define someone based on what they're carrying in their pants? Yeah, and I've never once met a thirsty man who wouldn't take a Beyond Taco. Do you do you refer to it as a Beyond Taco when you're trying to pick up people at the bar? Only now. <laughs> Thank you, Dave Chappelle. I don't know why I find that so funny, but just the idea of it is hilarious for some fucking reason. Well, that's why I dropped it in there like that, because you had no idea that was coming. Oh, God. No, I really didn't. That was that was good. I appreciated that. But neither did he. <laughs> Fair enough. For those of you who cannot see the video, my co-host is a beat red. And definitely crying a little. Uh, no, like there is, I think one of the things, like I wouldn't say that he is transphobic because to me, the and I'm not part of the trans comedian, so obviously take this opinion with a little bit of a grain of salt, is he doesn't disbelieve in the idea of people being trans. He doesn't believe that trans women aren't women. He's never said anything like that. I don't believe that he is transphobic. I believe that he doesn't understand that the way you say something is just as important as what you are saying. But Intent what, what, is important. Wait, what you just said in my mind makes him transphobic because he's now, would I feel threatened around Dave Chappelle in a public setting or if I met him privately? No. Do I think he's going to hurt me? No. But he is enough transphobic and he even said i'm on team turf you know i have boundaries and granted you know yeah she did you know daphne did hug him at one point but even so he's like i have boundaries see i think i think him saying i have boundaries wasn't what actually happened in the moment i think in the moment he did hug her and i think on stage for the joke he said the boundaries i'm transphobic to take a shot at everyone who called him transphobic because it was a very long running gag throughout the entire show. No, and I, and I appreciate that viewpoint, but I think he gives, a, and what makes this transphobic is he gives the TERFs and other transphobes ammunition to say, look at Dave Chappelle, even though he's you know probably fairly liberal, he's a successful black comedian, he still has issues with the trans community. Yes. And I like, he's using the terminology. Yeah. He's providing the red meat to the audience, to the devourer when it comes to issues that affect the transgender community. And that to me is, that is some level of transphobia. And I, I have no argument against that one. I believe he is, he is using the terminology that is very commonly used by transphobic community in a way that is not done well. Right. 
if he is trying to take shots at the people who call him transphobic, if he's not, he's not using, he's not using the right language and he's just firing things out there. And I think you have a responsibility, especially as a comedian who controls this much attention to be more talking about how when he came back and he used an offensive word that I am going to not repeat. Well, I'm, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to, I will repeat, but I do not believe in the use of this word. When he said that he was up on stage and he used the word tranny. And it's just like, that word has been not okay for so long. How do you get up in like 2019, use that word on stage and not have any kind of idea about what you are doing? Yeah. And it's one thing for black comedians, black people, the black community to use the n-word in reference to each other back and forth and i'll tell you what in some levels i if i refer to myself as a tranny that's me putting it back on me that's me reclaiming that word that's the queer community but for a black cis male who's had a problematic relationship with the lgbtq community and especially us in the transgender community i he shouldn't be saying that word, point blank. No, I agree. You have a responsibility to, if you're going to talk about this community, you have a responsibility to be educated about that community. And where his lack of education comes shining through is in like his usage of the word, like I believe in a gender construct. Yes. And that to me was a huge, like you're tipping your hand saying, you know, that gender is constructed and i understand what he's making about the point of like people that have vaginas are the ones that have the babies but as well we know but what you know carrie prey talked about earlier this year on the podcast and everything you know and different there's so many things that happen in human biology and you know in utero development that you know affect the human development and the human experience for 98 percent of the people when the doctor does the genital check when the baby's born, that's going to be what they are. That's what they're assigned at birth is what they're pretty much going to be through life. But for that other 2%, and I fall into that, Sarah falls into that, Francesca falls into that, Penny falls into that other 2%. Do, and then there's also, then you also have the intersex community. Yep. Do we just ignore 2% of the population just because? they're different. And in the past, the answer to that question was yes. But well, and it's also, you have that added, you have that added layer too, of where he's saying that women give birth and it's just now you're adding that layer of only women who have kids have value, right? What about all of the cis women that choose not to have children, cannot have children, right? You're just getting on that side of the argument as well when you're saying things like that. And it's just, you can't sum up the value or the life experience of a woman based on whether or not she pops a baby out of her vag. That's pretty much all premise of the Mormon church. Well, I mean, they also believe in some weird shit. So do we really want to dredge up the rope? I feel like that's a whole other episode on its own is the Mormon church. You know what? I got a, I got a guest for that one. <laughs> I'm the ex Mormon. Shouldn't I have that? We can bring on two. We can bring on like an active Mormon and then we'll bring on a recovering Mormon. Yeah. I feel like that'll just evolve really quickly, but you never know. All right. Back to Dave Chappelle. I'll back back to Dave Chappelle. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I, you know, and, and this is what drives me nuts is 
I'm not sitting here screaming saying you shouldn't listen to Dave Chappelle. You should cancel your Netflix. I'm not, I don't participate in that game. I never have, I never will. Well, I had a, I had a really good conversation earlier today with a friend of mine about cancel culture specifically. And it's, if we decide to do things like that, we're robbing people of the opportunity to grow as people and to learn from their mistakes. And that like cancel culture is essentially robbing those people of the things that you feel they're robbing you of the ability to grow, the ability to be yourself, the ability to learn. And you can't rob people of the ability to learn. Do I believe that some people need to take a break and need to reevaluate some of the things that they do and maybe educate themselves? Absolutely. Do I believe that robbing them of their livelihoods is a good idea? Not really. And Dave Chappelle had some good bits in that show. You and I both acknowledge that some of that shit was hilarious. Yeah. And even Sticks and, and Sticks and Stones, I thought he had some really clever bits about, you know, the trans community and that joke in the car. And I've said this on the podcast for over a year or, you know, two years now. That joke about, you know, hey, the trans person can't pee for four states. Yeah, that's true. That one was, and that was a good joke. That was hilarious when I heard it the first time. Like... There's just, it's how far do you separate the artist from their art is one of the big questions. And I think this really came up for me the first time with Bill Cosby, right? And I would be like, Bill Cosby is an actual predator. And that's like, that to me is maybe where I would come into the phrase where I'd be pro cancel culture. It's like, yeah, no, that man doesn't deserve to come back, but that's because he's instigated actual violence against people. Dave Chappelle has the opinions that I don't agree with, but I'm not going to agree with everyone. You're never going to agree with everyone and everything. And I think this is a good jumping off point to wrap up this conversation, but I do want to talk about Daphne for a minute. Yes. You know, and I think this is what drives me nuts about, and I think this is what we're saying. His, Dave Chappelle's words about the trans community specifically I'm not going to say they caused Daphne's death by suicide, but they were a contributing factor. They were problematic for sure. And this is where under being educated and being responsible with your words with somebody that has the platform as Dave Chappelle does is very important. The flip side of that is, and I'm going to say this once, no, I've said it more than once. I've said it on this podcast we go back to episode 92 I said this back in June this year what the trans community did in harassing Daphne to the point within six days of the Dave Chappelle Sticks and Stones special being dropped on Netflix died by suicide is on our is on our community side and that type of cancel culture directly led Dave's comments are indirect but our community directly resulted in this lady deciding that she was going to die by suicide. And she left a daughter behind. That's important shit. And you, like, and when Dave talks about it on stage, that. when Dave talks about it on stage, he is obviously torn up, which you would be. A close friend of yours has taken their life. That is horrible. That is one of the worst things to happen to anyone. Yeah. And you know what? It, Yeah. That's set aside. You know, 
because his words indirectly played a role in her death. Our community amplified that. And we have to we have to look at ourselves in this situation and understand that cancel culture in this situation literally kills people. Yeah. But at least Dave has stepped up and I will give him all the credit in the world for this. He's going to financially take care of that little girl. And that's something that matters. Absolutely. It matters for that family. It matters for that little girl. I think we should leave this here. What do you think? I, I think we should too. I think there might be some people in our community that might be.